Well, guys, good morning. Are you in the Christmas spirit? Man, I, oh, come on. Good morning, church. I love this time of year. I love Christmas. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but it also is the most stressful time of year. It's funny, I ran into a couple this week at City Market, and, uh, and they came in and I said, hey, guys, Merry Christmas. How you doing? They both had this, like, wide-eyed look on their face. I'm like, are you guys okay? And they're like, we just left the mall. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get it. That, it's stressful. I avoid the mall at all costs this time of year. It, it's stressful this time of year because there's a lot going on. There's the Christmas parties. There's the shopping. Uh, there's the crowds. There's all the stuff we're doing. We're running around trying to make plans for possibly leaving town or having family come into town. And see, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but it's also the most stressful time of year, not just because of all the stuff that we have to deal with, but sometimes it's the most stressful time of year because of the people that we have to deal with. You know, it's funny, this song that we, we titled this message after, the Bing Crosby song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. I remember listening to this song as a kid and, and just the, the emotions, the hope that would come with it. I'd think about the fact that, you know, I'd get to see my grandparents. We're going back home because they lived in another state. So I'm going back home, I get to see my grandparents, I haven't seen them in a year, I get to see my cousins, and I remember just all the excitement of the thoughts of what could be when I get to go back and be around these people I love so much. But what happens to many of us, and what most of us have experienced in this room, is after years pass by, and sometimes decades pass by, and life happens to our relationships, then some of the relationships we we were so excited about, we loved so much. Now there's scars with these relationships. There's been pain, there's been difficulty that comes along. So I, I hear this song now, I'll be home for Christmas. And I wonder, I ask the question, like, I'll be home for Christmas. Is that a promise or is that a warning? You know? And I think that there's a lot of us that would feel that way. And the truth is that none of us want this, but the truth is, is that our relationships are very difficult. We have difficult people in our families, difficult people we work with. There's, there's just difficult people in our lives, and there's a whole spectrum of this. There's, they, from one end of the spectrum, just that difficult person that they're awkward at work, or you avoid them because they have bad breath, you know? All the way to the other end of the spectrum where there's someone who you had a relationship, and there has been deep wounds there. And to, to quote Taylor Swift, band-aids don't fix bullet holes, you know? So <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. <laughs> Back on track. But, um, but you think about it, and you're like, I have got some deep wounds in these relationships. And, and what we try to do is just stick a Band-Aid on it. Just try to like, put a smile on our face and get through the holidays and act like everything's fine. But because of a betrayal or, or a hurt, a divorce, something along the way, it, all of our stories are different. But something along the way, we look now and we go, this is just complicated. And I think sometimes that could be one of the best words to describe some of the relationships we deal with in our families. It's just complicated. Because sometimes I'm okay with you, sometimes I'm not. You know, it's like sometimes we get along just fine, and other times, like, we can't even be in the same room together. And it's like there's all this difficulty that comes along with the holiday season. And I think I could pass the microphone around and we could, we could play the game to see who's got like the most drama in their family and, and we could all tell some stories and, and I don't, we don't want to do that. That's not the focus of today. That's not the point of today. But the truth is every one of us in this room have difficulties when it comes to the relationships in our family. Sometimes the relationships of people we haven't seen for a very, very long time. So looking at the title of the message today, I'll be home for Christmas. 
For a lot of us, we look back and we think, you know what, uh, the memories I had of getting together as family as a kid are different, different than the way I feel now. So my hope and my prayer for you today as we get into this is that we could look at what God's word has to say with the couple minutes that we have left together today, just kind of go through about five points of how you and I can be successful in our relationships this Christmas. How, how can Christmas be a success regardless of whether or not there are difficult people in the room with us? So if you would, I want to pray and then we're going to jump right into this. So uh, if you'd pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and it is in Jesus' name that we ask for your help. We pray that right now as we get into this message that I would not get in the way and I wouldn't be distracting towards your truth, towards your word. So Lord, use me as a mouthpiece, use me as a vessel, and, and please don't let me uh, harm your word in any way. And I pray right now that you would come into this room, that you'd teach us, you'd help us, God, you'd heal us, and, and you'd, you'd set us up for success this Christmas. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to give five points about how we can be successful in our relationships this Christmas. And this first point is kind of a simple point. In fact, if you've been coming to church for any period of time, you'd say, that's an obvious point. That's like a church point. Of course you would have that point in your message. But before you blow it off, I, I just hope that you'll take a moment and think about this. Because Christmas is the time of year when we get out of our routines. And in fact... Most of the year, there's a lot of us that are, uh, that are disciplined enough to where we get up and we spend time with God. We'll read the Bible, we'll pray, we'll worship. We might then go to the gym and exercise or something, but we have our pattern and our routine that's helping us in life. But what happens around Christmas time is because of traveling and the family come in or we're leaving and there's Christmas parties and there's school events and all these different things, our routine just kind of gets pushed to the side. And one of the very first things to go is this first point. And the first point, if you want to have a successful Christmas, number one is you have to pray for fruit. Pray for fruit? What are you talking about? Well, we get this statement because of something that's said in the book of Galatians chapter 5. The Bible says this, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, talking about when you submit yourself to Jesus and you obey him and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, there's fruit that comes with that. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you go through that list, I think every one of us in this room, we all want all of those attributes in our life. I'd like to be more loving. I'd like to be more joyful, more peaceful, more patient. In fact, you probably want the person you're sitting next to to have more of these attributes in their life too. And this is the thing about the fruit of the Spirit. You can't fake the fruit of the Spirit. Just like you can't fake getting skinny, you actually have to go to the gym and work out. You can't fake being peaceful, right? You can't fake being joyful. You can, you can try, you can try to put a, a smile on your face, but these are things that come as a result of actions. Just like skinniness comes as a result of actions, faithfulness, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, love, all these things, they come as a result of the actions in our relationship with God. If we decide, you know what, this year, I, I want this year to be different than last year. I want this year to be a year where I've got peace in my relationships. I want the Christmas table to be so much better. Then we've got to have a determination to say, I'm going to spend time with God today. 
And though my routine's messed up, I'm still going to get up even earlier today so I can spend some time praying and worshiping him and putting him at the center of the day and remembering he's at the center of my day. So then that way, as I'm going into all these other difficult things in life, he can start to reveal the fruit in my life of all these different things that I'm going to need. See, this, this looks like just a very simple and honest prayer with God of saying, you know what, God, I'm going to be in some difficult situations today, and I'm going to be around some crowds, and I'm going to be around traffic, and I'm going to have some, some people I don't necessarily want to be around, that I'm going to be in close proximity today. So Jesus, help me today. I need some peace today. I need some joy. I need some, some kindness today. And as we start submitting ourselves to God and saying, Jesus, I'm just going to follow you, keep you at the center of my day, then these things start to just happen as fruit in our own life. You can't fake it. So I hope that we wouldn't get out of our routines of, of spending time with God when it comes to this Christmas season. Because if we're going to face difficult situations, we need his help. So this first point is that we have to stop and pray for the fruit of the Spirit. That brings us to the second point. It's another prayer point. You got to pray for difficult people. Every one of us have difficult people in our life. Every one of us have difficult people in our family. And this is what we're really good at. We're really good at talking about those difficult people, right? We say, oh gosh, your uncle's going to be here this year. That's going to be interesting, you know? We all have the comments that we throw back and forth, and maybe for some of us, we've been talking about these people for weeks now because we've been knowing that there's, there's going to be this awkward setting where we're in the same room together, and we haven't, we haven't been in the same room together for a year. And, and sometimes we, we had come into these situations where we've done so much negative talk about this person. And the Bible shows us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. What that means is if we use our tongue to speak life into our situations and positivity into our situations, that is something that we should expect to see life and positivity. But if we're negative about the people we're talking about, we're negative about your uncle, negative about your sister, negative about whatever, then you should expect to see negative outcome there. The Bible says it's very clear. We have power in the words that come out of our mouth. So he offers us a different way. He says, instead of talking negative and talking about all these people, why don't you talk to God about it? Why don't you bring the same concerns to Jesus and say, God, I've got to be around someone I don't necessarily want to be around. And would you help me in this room with them? And would you help them? Would you bless them, God? Would you give them kindness today? Would you give them patience? Would you give them joy today? And as we do this, it, it starts to change our perspective. It's, it's the, the different choice that Jesus asked us to follow him in. Matthew 5 43 says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's difficult. I mean, you say, I don't want to pray for them. I don't like them. <laughs> and Jesus said, you're getting it all wrong. You got to be praying for. You got to if you're praying for that difficult person, maybe God could do something in that difficult person's life or maybe God could begin to change your heart about that difficult person. So if you want this Christmas to look different than maybe some other difficult Christmases in the past or some difficult family situations in the past, we got to pray for fruit number 1. Number 2, we got to pray for difficult people. And then number 3, you have to choose our battles. Choose our battle. See, if you want to have a successful holiday, you've got to choose what you're willing to argue about. 
It's so funny because as a parent, I, I've seen my kids argue about some things as they were growing up. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Are we really fighting about this? My kids are 9 and 11 years old now, but if I look back to like when they were 5 and 3 years old, I remember there was an argument they had in the back of my truck, and I couldn't believe it was actually taking place. It just, it, it drove me mad, but it sounded like this. Rachel, my, uh, she was 5 years old at the time, asked Kayla, my 3-year-old, um, Kayla, what's your favorite color? She was, uh, it was, it was black. And, and Kayla, uh, Rachel goes, no, you said it was pink. No, it's black. No, it's pink. It's black. It's pink. And they now are screaming and crying in the back seat of the car, pulling on each other's shirts, yelling at the top of the lungs. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Are we truly fighting about whether or not you like pink or black? We look at our kids that way and go, that is the most ridiculous thing ever. And then we get into a situation and we'll make a comment like, that's not the way grandma used to cook the turkey. You know, I can't believe you still have your Christmas lights up. Are you going to leave them up all year long? You know? It's like we got all of these comments and we're, we're choosing to get into a battle. And for what? We're fighting about things that are like, are you kidding me? Are we truly fighting about this? And we know the things that we shouldn't bring up at the table, but we do it anyways, right? It's like, oh, I, I got a zinger about politics. I could throw this one out there and we're going to see grandma get up and stomp out of the room. It's going to be funny, right? Why do we do that, right? We're going into battle, and for what? For what? You have to choose your battles. Bishop T.D. Jakes, I watch him on TV all the time. I love listening to him. One of the things he says and teaches, he says, he says, never go into war where there are no spoils. You should never go into a battle if there's not going to be a reward in the end of that battle that's worth all the pain that you're going to go through, all the wounds that will be inflicted all the scars that you'll have to carry with you in life. And there's so many times, I think when it comes to our family relationships, it's like we just take that principle and throw it out. It's like, I'm just going to fight to fight. I'm just going to win to win. And we can argue about this, and I'm going to win. When I was a young husband, like when we were newlyweds, this is something I used to fail at. I do this all the time where I would win arguments just to win arguments. And I finally realized, because I'd win the argument, and I'm like, I didn't really win, (laughs) you know? And if you're married, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Like, what, what did I win in this? I won nothing. Like, I, I was right, at least in my own opinion. And I wonder how many of our Christmases, how many of our family situations, not just the holiday, but when we just come together, how would it look different if we decided that's not worth fighting over? One of the wisest things I've, I've learned from my grandmother, she says, you don't have to hear everything they say. Think about that for a moment, because I'm raising two girls right now, and, and there are a lot of statements that come out of their mouths that sometimes I'm just like, you can't say that, and I want to bark at this and that and this and that. And I remember my grandmother say, you don't have to hear everything that they say. It's choosing your battles. So, if you want to have a more peaceful, more successful Christmas this year, you got to pray for fruit. you got to pray for the difficult people. you got to choose your battles. And that brings us to number four, and that, that's the point that holidays are not the time for confrontation. Holidays are not the time for confrontation. The difficult thing about this is that we don't talk to people for all year long, and we think, you know, next time I meet with them, i got a bone to pick with them. 
I, I got this difficult. We had a problem, we had a fallout, and I need to talk to him about it again. But we don't talk to him for a month, and we don't talk to him for six months. And then all of a sudden now we're getting it on the calendar that the family's going to get back together. We're going to be in the same room, and we haven't talked about it. So what we're looking forward to doing is coming into a time of celebration, and instead of celebrating, we're saying, all right, I need to talk to you about this. You remember when you did that? You remember when you did this? I know there's some of you here going, wait a minute. Uh, The Bible says that we should go and we should fix problems. We shouldn't shy away from confrontation, but we should go have the confrontation to heal our relationships. Yeah, it does say that. Let's let's look at what it says. It says in Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So if you're angry and you need to have a confrontation, there is a clear timeline of when you are supposed to have the conflict. And the timeline set by God here in scriptures is don't let the sun go down. What does that mean? It means don't wait till tonight. Do it right now. If you got a, if you got a problem, fix it right now. Have the conflict, the confrontation right now. Because what happens if we don't do this? is we have a little problem, just a small thing, it's a little confrontation, and, and we didn't handle it today, so today turns into a week that's gone by, and the whole time we're festering, and we're thinking about the, the, the argument, we're thinking about what it's going to look like, and then it turns into a month, and it turns into two months, and now this little problem's getting bigger and bigger and bigger in my mind, Right? I don't know if you ever do this, but have you ever had the argument with that person in your mind before you actually had the argument with that person? You have the meeting with your boss long before you actually go in to have the meeting with your boss? Now, I don't know about you guys, but in my mind when I have the argument, it's so interesting because I always have the perfect thing to say, and they always come back with, you were so right and I was so wrong, and then everyone gives me like a standing ovation in my mind. That's what happens, okay? Am I the only one? <laughs> But what's interesting is the Bible says if we, don't let, if we don't handle it right now, it says don't let the sun go down in your anger. Here, here's the next part. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. What is that? Now the little problem that was just a quick fix, just a quick conversation, has turned into something that I've let grow to a huge conflict. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 23 says, So if you're standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God, so basically if, you, if you're at church, you're worshiping, you're getting right with God, okay, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So Jesus says, you got to understand an order of priority. If you're t- thinking about going to church and getting things right with God, or you remember, i got to go get things right with someone else, he says it's very clear. Go get things right with this other person. And then after you get things right with that other person, then come back. And he's saying, that doesn't mean let months go by and I've been out of church because I've got conflicts with people. No, same day. The same day. Go and have the conflict with that person because If we do this, if we follow what Jesus says for us to do here, then when you're getting together in a time of celebration, we're not talking about that awkwardness, not bringing up that old fight, not not re-wounding that old scar. But now we fixed the problem and we're taking this time for celebration to simply be a time for celebration. So what that means for some of us in this room it's kind of a hard pill to swallow is that might mean for some of us in this room, we have some conversations we need to have today. We've got, 
some phone calls we need to make. We might, might need to drive over to their house and have a conversation with them today so that we're not just sweeping things under the rug and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then blows up on a time when we should be celebrating. So if you want to be successful in your relationships this Christmas, pray for fruits, pray for difficult people. We, we have to choose our battles and then we have to uh, remember that holidays are not the time for confrontation. That brings us to the last point before we close today. And that's if we want to be successful, we have to put away our pride. To put away your pride. See, one of the greatest ingredients to a healthy relationship is humility. And what harms so many of our relationships is our own pride. You know, feeling like we see the faults in other people, but not in ourselves. And Jesus says there's a different way. In fact, he models for us a different way. If we look in the book of John, chapter 8, Jesus was teaching. It says he was speaking, this is verse 3. He was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. See, they're trying to trap Jesus. If he would have said, no, don't stone her, then he's saying something in complete opposition to the law of Moses. They'd say, you're a false teacher. And they would attack him in that way. If he says, yes, stoner, then at the time, Jewish people were under Roman rule, and Romans did not allow Jews to carry out capital punishment without permission from their government. So if Jesus says stoner, then all of a sudden he's a rebel to Roman rule, and he would have the Romans coming after him. So they've tried to trap him here, and this is what Jesus does. It says, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, stone her. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So the picture here is you've got a bunch of accusers who were right, okay? They came to Jesus and they said, look, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. She's wrong. The law says to condemn her. She should be stoned. Do you see her? And these men were right. And Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, said, instead of standing there and pointing out the sins and pointing out the problems in another person, first why don't you take an examination of yourself? Why don't, why don't you look at yourself and see if you're perfect? See if you've never sinned. See if, see if you're living a righteous life. The Bible says one by one, each of the men, beginning with the oldest, would look at their lives and go, you know what? I can't condemn her because I've sinned in my own life. And it might not look exactly like her sin, but I, I've got my own problems. And one by one, they dropped their stone and they walked away. I wonder what our Christmas tables would look like. If these people that we point the finger at and we say, you know what, she always has this problem, he always does this, and we've got all these problems built up and judgments built up around these different people, what if we were to take Jesus' advice and have an examination of our own lives? What if we stopped for a minute and said, okay, God, is there any sin in my life? 
Are there any struggles in my life? Is there anything I'm doing wrong in my life? Because if we examine ourselves before God and start asking that question, we begin to see all of the things that Jesus has forgiven us for, and we see all the difficulties that the people in our life have to forgive us for, then it's a lot easier to put the stone down and say, you know what, maybe I should be more forgiving to her. Maybe I should just give him a little bit of grace. See, this is something I heard pastors say a long time ago where he said, you should probably make a list. You should self-examine. You should write it down in a journal of all the things God has to forgive you for and all of your problems with your personality. And you might say, well, that sounds really negative. Why would you do that? Well, the point is not about being negative. It's about recognizing all the things that Jesus has forgiven us for. So I made a list. And, and I started writing it down. And my list quickly got very embarrassing. I want to share a part of my list with you. These are things that I know about my personality that are kind of difficult. I wrote that I'm loud. I'm a know-it-all. I can be passive-aggressive. I'm self-absorbed. I eat too much. I can be rude. I'm a road rager. I struggle with anger, with selfishness. Sometimes I even smell funny, okay? You don't get to hear anything else on my list because it only goes downhill from there. Oh, don't laugh too hard. You have a list too, (laughs) But I wonder if, if we take just a moment and say, wait a minute. God has forgiven me for all these things, but not only that, I sit at a table and I have all these problems I bring to the table too and, and there's got to be grace extended to me. Like I wonder why I've been standing here with this rock in my hand. Maybe it's time to put aside our pride. Maybe this Christmas we need to come into our family dynamics with a spirit of humility and not... Just a judgmental spirit, a know-it-all. I can't believe she's here again, he's here again. We're the same old fight, same old thing. It's interesting because there's another Christmas song that we hear every year, and I think I've sang most years of my life, and I've never even paused and thought about the lyrics before. And it's, it's a song called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by Charles Wesley. And there's a line in this song that says, Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. At Christmas, what you and I sing about and what you and I celebrate is the fact that God made a way for sinners. God offered reconciliation. He offered peace. He offered forgiveness to you and I sinners. So what's happened is, We're a world full of men and women who sin, who have turned away from God. And and God says, I've got to make a way. And he sends Jesus. And this is the Christmas story that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, never sinned, and then took our place. The Bible says he took our sin upon himself and then on the cross paid the price for your sins and for mine so that we can be reconciled to God, have a relationship with him, and therefore have a home forever in heaven. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. So at Christmas, could it be that as we sing a song like God and Sinner Reconciled, could it be that maybe one of the best ways we can demonstrate what we celebrate is for a sinner to offer reconciliation to a sinner. Because if God and sinner can be reconciled, can a sinner and a sinner be reconciled? In fact, maybe that's the challenge for all of us this year is that we be people who demonstrate what we celebrate. 
And we offer to those people who, maybe for some of us, we have some deep hurt wounds with. We offer to them the offer of reconciliation. It doesn't mean they have to do anything with it. But I offer to you that I want things to be right. And I want to have peace in our relationship. And I want to move forward in our relationship. And I know what you're thinking. Well, they don't even want that. They don't want to have another conversation. They don't want to do this whole thing again. We've done this over and over and over again. They don't want reconciliation with me. But, but think about your relationship with God and how often has he extended the offer of reconciliation, the offer of forgiveness, the offer of peace to you, and you did nothing with it. He said, well, God, right now I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to be over here, and I guess I'll I'll come back and I'll revisit that later at some other time. And, And all the times we reject God's offer of forgiveness, it doesn't mean that God then says, okay, fine, I'm taking the offer away. God just leaves the offer out on the table. He says, I, I want to have a relationship with you. It's why I've sent my son to be with you. It's why I've sent him to, to, to pave the way for you, to pay the price for your sins, that you just ask for forgiveness of your sins, make him the Lord and the master of your life, and you can have reconciliation there. And it stands year after year after year. So many of us have not been following God, have walked away from his plan. He never takes it back. So I wonder this year, even if we think that they wouldn't, accept the offer, could we demonstrate what we celebrate by offering forgiveness, offering reconciliation to those that we love, to those that are going to be sitting around our table, to those that maybe we've been griping about because they're coming in town or we have to go out of town to go see them. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for your grace, your mercy, and your love. And I thank you that you offer forgiveness to us and we know that, God, we don't even deserve it. It's because of how good you are. So, Lord, you know every one of our situations in this room. You know that for some people in here, it's just another Christmas. But for other people in here, there's some difficult relationship things going on. And I pray right now that we would be the type of people who have success in our relationships because we're not going to do it our own way this year. This year we commit right now to being people who pray for fruit of the Spirit, that we pray that we'd obey you and follow you, that we pray for the difficult people in our life, that we wouldn't just have battle after battle, but we'd choose and only fight if it's totally necessary. And then, God, we just pray that you'd help us in our relationships. Help us if we need to have confrontation today to to extend uh, uh, forgiveness, to go and have a conversation, to show up on someone's doorstep today if we need to so that we can make things right and that we wouldn't let the sun go down again without fixing these things. So God, we pray that you would use us to reflect your love in our relationships this year. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. He's good. Let's give him a shout of praise.